I think it do what it do. Well, hello. <laughs> We're back uh, at Living Waters Brewery, East Nashville. Man, it's a beautiful day out. It really is. Two weeks ago, it was like snowing and icing. Two weeks ago? Mm. Several podcasts ago, which is basically one a week at this point. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah, our last batch of podcasts, we were holed up in the apartment because of the snow and ice, and it's got to be sunny and 68, 70 degrees out. Something like that. It's wonderful. Yeah. I'm digging it. I'm wearing my shorty shorts. I see you're wearing some shorts. As am I. I mean, shorts, regardless of the weather, are pretty much the only thing I can wear for for a little bit. Do you want to update the audience on what's going on with your leg? Yeah, so I got my, hopefully, my final and permanent surgery on Friday. It's uh, Tuesday as we record this, so on Friday afternoon, they put in plates and screws and took off the exoskeleton, and they've got me in this uh, big soft cast here, which is heavy, uh, but it's way more easy to get around with than the uh, than the external fixator. So, oh yeah, for sure. So it's pretty major surgery. I think it lasted a little bit longer than they were anticipating. How long are you out? Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure, but they had initially said that I was going to be discharged at 2.15, and I didn't even come to until 6. Whoa, that's wild. Yeah, so... I don't know, man. The, uh, the anesthesiologist goes, uh, whoa. She says, where do you want to go on your next vacation? I said, Cancun. And she goes, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start counting in Spanish. So she goes, uno, dos cervezas. <laughs> and that's the last thing I remember. <laughs> and now you're on a little scooter getting around. Yeah, so speaking of mobility and being able to get around, I got a knee scooter which is super handy. I took it around the neighborhood yesterday for probably close to an hour. So I really scooted around. Um, yeah, and it's, it's super handy. It's got great brakes, uh, great wheels. So it's, it's just nice being able to stand upright and have my hands be available. That's, that's huge. So yeah, so we're making, we're making progress. It's a pretty cute scooter. Thanks. Did you name it? I have not named it yet. <clears throat> Did you name your car? No. Okay. Never mind that. I don't. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not super big on naming things. Here's that That's waffles okay. for you, man. Thank when you you're so ready much. for a re-steep on those, just bring that picture up, and we'll get another round going for you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is what I'm drinking. And he's got some fancy tea going. So I decided to tangent already. Yeah. <clears throat> we were talking about strength training and fat loss in the last podcast and we were talking about my um, not so great go at it so far I've been holding at 190 pounds until today I was at 188.4 right on so moving in the right direction now just get a cruise through today and the rest of this week to try to be at because technically my so my birthday is on Saturday mm-hmm. and on my birthday I typically squat my body weight times my age. So on Saturday, right. I would like to squat 185 33 times. Wow. Yeah. Not 190 33 times. <laughs> I think that it would be um, much more fun to 
be cruising towards my goal weight and also not have to squat as like, much weight. So right. So all, all that. So yeah, I'm drinking tea. Right on, man. Just a nice change of pace. Yeah. Plus it's like early afternoon. Right. We're recording a little bit earlier. Right. And I have errands to run after this, so yeah. 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 Keep it sober for now. Um, so anyway, yeah, my fat loss phase is going much better. Your muscle loss phase is going swimmingly, I imagine. Dude, I am, um, I am, I'm doing great in my atrophy phase here. You really are. <laughs> did you measure it yet, like we talked about? No, I did not measure it. I don't even think I have a tape measure. I got you. Do you have one I on you? I have one on oh, me. Oh, no. Yeah, I have one on me. Here. Live. Live. Measuring girth. Oh, no. I, I do have it in here. Let me, let me rummage around in it. But while I'm rummaging, um, I said that I wanted to prime you with a question, but I didn't want to tell you what it was before we got on the podcast. Sure. So my question is, and it is a fitness-related question, um, what, as, what is something that you believe wholeheartedly as a young coach and have since either 180'd on or softened your stance? Mm, good question. What was I hardcore about in the early days and have softened my stance? You know, I mean, one thing, probably, I would just say I I never really appreciated the um, how should I put this? I never appreciated the role that other forms of exercise that I don't necessarily think are great for a person I've, I've only recently come to understand their value so like for example I would have said unless you're training for a marathon don't run okay I would have said that I would have said um, you know uh, unless you're <laughs> I would have said pretty much unless somehow if you're getting paid like don't do Zumba okay fill in the blank with any number of exercise modalities. And so I kind of initially had a very like reductionist view where it's like fitness is fitness for fitness sake. And so if you want to, you know, perform better, if you want to gain muscle, if you want to gain strength, then just train for that. Okay. And you're totally wasting your time if you're doing anything else. Now, technically on paper, that's kind of still true. Right. But now I'm not so defensive about like I used to have to feel like I had to prove to anybody that like kettlebells was better than Zumba. Like I had I had that like chip on my shoulder. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so now I definitely don't have that. So whatever you want to do is is totally cool with me. I just try to as well respect that line while also saying like do the things that keep you engaged do the things that quote unquote make you happy um, while at the same time use those things that I may not be into as a jumping off point for continuing to explore the capabilities of your body and if that leads you into stuff that's more in my wheelhouse then that's great okay I like this conversation for two reasons. The first is that I think I, I, I probably shared a very similar stance, very like staunch, you know, similar whatever. I think there's um, two things that I'm, I'm noticing about this pattern. 
the first is I think it's very ego driven. And we talked about this on the podcast before that I think that a lot of coaches or fitness enthusiasts have a ton of ego and insecurity. I mean, there's a lot of vanity in what we do. And so it isn't all that much of a stretch to assume, not assume, but it's not that weird if people who do what we do are also not super egotistical and vain. Right. So I think there's ego wrapped up in it, and that was the same way for a number of reasons. 100%. Um, The other is that, um, and you and I have talked about this before, and I wouldn't mind revisiting it, is that I don't take this stuff as seriously as I once did. Right. I've really relaxed... Because fitness is a thing, it's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've right. really softened my stance as far as, like, if you, you know, whatever, man. Whatever you like to do, let's do that. Like, yep. I have my preferences, and that, and in a weird way, this is almost like a segue into today's podcast. Like, we have our preferences about what we want to do in the gym. But at the same time, like, we might as well have some fun. Like, if you're a professional athlete... Or if you're a high-performing fitness, let's say, Instagram influencer or whatever, if your job more or less depends on, like, your fitness, then fine. Like, you can be way more serious about it. But for everybody else, like, we're trying to have some fun, too. Like, this this is something we probably ought to be doing for the rest of our lives. If we fucking hate it, then it's probably not going to stick long-term. So I think there's, you you know, as coaches, what I try to do is blend stuff that I think is important, stuff that I think my clients need, with stuff that they like and what they want to do. Like, yeah. I, I don't give a shit if you, you know, want to do a 10-minute AMRAP Zumba in the middle of my strength training session. Fuck it. Let's do it, man. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, when you're, let's say not exactly established in your career and you're still like a fledgling like newbie you know newbie trainer you have your identity and and so much wrapped up in your expertise or your supposed expertise right so you're you're kind of vulnerable in that way you know you're kind of like a like a like a lobster without a shell, and right. and you just wanna you just wanna hold up under a rock and just say this rock is the best rock and and it's the best thing and it will protect me and it will protect you. Over the course of time, with experience, you know, where more authority and more expertise comes into play, that naturally softens. So I don't feel the need to defend anything, really. I mean, apart from apart from like the individual client experience sure like i don't i don't feel the need to explain myself to anybody about anything unless i'm specifically doing unless somebody's paying me to tell them to do something you know that's a different conversation um but yeah i mean that's kind of why like on the one hand i'll throw out so many you know ideas and, and I'm and I'm much more fluid in my approach to training myself and my clients because I'm no longer staking my reputation on anything other than I'm doing what I feel is the best thing for myself and my clients at any given point in time. Right. And I'm at a point now where I can lean on that. Right. I, but I would interject that you aren't afraid of being challenged. Sure. There's a difference between being like 
um, I think confident. I think you and I are both confident in our abilities and confident in our approach. But I don't think that either of us, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. Like, we, this is the reason we started this whole podcast is because we had conversations like this. We're not afraid of being challenged. Mm-hmm. At the same time, like, again, I'm not working with professional athletes. I'm not working with people who are, you know, that need to be stage ready where the, you know, stuff we're doing in the gym and in the kitchen is critically important. So, like, I can relax a little bit as a coach and try to bring fun to the table, bring, you know, good exercise routines, you know, good programming. Um, I don't have to be all that super staunchly serious about anything in, in the gym. And, and I think that allows me to be a little bit more uh, flexible, able to be challenged. And I also, you know, one of my clients, I've spoken about him on the podcast, David, asks me really good questions because he's, he's into fitness. I do like his questions because they make me... Um, think critically about the decisions I'm making. Sure. So, in other words, if I'm, if I'm not challenged, then I'll easily fall into the same sort of like tunnel vision viewpoint of how I do things. Yeah. But if someone challenges me, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, like I actually need to defend my decision making process and how I view things. And if I can't, then it, I go back to the drawing board, and that yeah. makes me a better coach. So, I think it's one thing to be confident. It's another to have ego. Like you should be able, as a as a coach, you should be able to be challenged and be okay about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so speaking of destroying one's ego, are you gonna measure now? Yes. <laughs> Things I never thought I'd be saying and hearing. Measure your girth. So I've already, <laughs> so I've already been non weight bearing for two weeks. So I was gonna say go the other way. There you go. And I don't think I've ever measured my quad before. So right about here? I go six inches from kneecap. So right, yeah, right, right, right about there, yeah. Right about here? And don't be flexing now. No flex. No flex. Okay. Flaccid leg. All right. Me- <laughs> measuring flaccid live on the podcast. Great. 19, 19 inches. Whole inches of girth. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe a little bit more. All right. You want to do, do the left one for... For, uh, just for consistency right I think the only thing so I'm glad we fleshed that out if you were to ask me the same question the only thing that I probably like started out with early in my career was wanting everyone to lift like six or fewer reps like I always thought anything above six was like nah which is weird that I would think that because I actually started out my fitness enthusiasm with like bodybuilding routines so basically anything goes, all angles, all lifts, all exercises, all the time. But that would be the one I soften my stance on. Now, actually, the, the irony of this is almost a complete 180. For most of my people, most of the time, I almost never go below six. Because mm. I just don't see sure. the value in it anymore. Sure. Because my people aren't power lifters. I don't think, I think lifting heavy-ish depends on sort of the rep like heavy technically is anything like around one to three reps mm-hmm. or one to five reps let's say but i think you can explore and make significant progress in the six to ten range or maybe six to twelve range oh for sure and the, here's the, the critical difference it doesn't suck ass like fives and fewers hurt they're i mean they're hard they're supposed to be hard yeah so there's that they also eat up a lot of time right like warming up to a heavy triple eats 20 30 minutes of a training hour mm-hmm. so like if you're really fascinated in those objectives i think that's cool like we, we can go there 
but for most of my clients who don't have any, they don't do not care how heavy their deadlift gets. We'll hang out with like as few as five, very rarely. I usually try to groove. Deadlifts probably I'll groove in the five to ten range. Squats and everything else probably in the eight plus. Sure. Okay. What yeah. was what was that left? So right leg was nineteen. Injured leg is nineteen. Well, so it's a little bit tricky because you just go half an inch plus or minus, and because there's so much hamstring hanging out here, like what was it? The hamstring adds a lot. So I mean, so 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 here's what I did. I I basically went to the so my left leg, I have this little freckle here, at approximately six inches, maybe five. It's going to serve as a landmark. So what I did is I just went until I found 19 inches on my left leg, which is about an inch closer to me from my kneecap, from my um, freckle. Okay. So okay, I got you. So I'll measure the same spot next time. Next time. Okay. And that was that was at 19. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Very scientific. Very accurate. That's all right. Yeah, not not in the least. Okay, but I did also take photographic evidence last week. Okay, so for that OnlyFans page. Yep. <laughs> for the for the Patreon version of the podcast. <laughs> Exclusive content for members. Oh, you know it. <laughs> Behind the scenes. <laughs> okay. Behind the scenes and under the shorts. Fair enough. Okay, I like that. Yeah, dude. So, um, yeah, so that's where we're at. And I tell you, um, man, I just, I will never take walking or squatting or lunging for granted. You shouldn't either. Oh, oh yeah. That's why I'm trying not to, like, kill myself with, like, heavy stuff anymore. Yeah. And, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, like, my actual, like, quads and hamstrings are getting something of a stimulus just from hauling this heavy cast around right but i can imagine there's just something there's just something about the weight bearing stimulus through the bone that you just can't just just can't be substituted you know right. so i imagine your hip is probably going to take the most like abuse oh yeah um, yeah that's one of those weird things like you don't really appreciate not being in pain until you start your body starts like compensating in weird ways because of an injury, uh-huh. and then you're like, "What is happening?" Like every like, ugh, yeah. like everything's tight, everything sucks. So, are you gonna have to do PT or not? Oh, I'm sure I will. Well, I mean, you went through TOA. They probably would have been like, "Come back in a month or whatever and start PT." Yeah, yeah, and I mean, granted, I. I, I'm sure the initial, you know, if I'm if I'm quoting the doctor, you know, he did mention you know having some amount of PT, which which will be interesting because I mean, I'm I'm no slouch when it comes to like you know. You're gonna be setting PRs in that PT clinic. Uh, you know, in terms of like knowing like what the ankle does and and all that kind of stuff. So I I'm curious what they're gonna have me do. I'm gonna I'm gonna be curious on what I will be able to do. So yeah, but I'm I'm here for the ride. There you go. So very cool. Whatever I got to do to get 
get back to 100%, man. I'm, right. I'm in it. Okay. Yep. All right, so we diving in? Let's dive in. Diving in? Diving in. <laughs> uh, speaking of diving in, uh, did you talk to Jesse the other day? I did talk to him the other day. Okay, I talked to him on the phone too. So uh-huh. let's get that three months. Let's get that trip planned. Yeah, dude. Okay, off yeah. there. We'll talk about mm-hmm. it. All right, so yep. I just want to make sure you talk to him. Yep. All right, hey, Jesse. Hope you're listening. Hello. Yeah. All right, so biggest bang for your buck exercises. Yep, that's the theme that I threw out to Andy yesterday. Biggest bang for your buck exercises. And, you know, let's not get too far in the weeds. Let's not, let's not play politics too hard about this kind of client or that kind of client. Let's just say a generally healthy person, general population, general fitness goals. So, and what you're saying is, basically what we're gonna come up with is like almost like a hierarchy, essentially, right? Sure. Like, like biggest bang for your buck is sort of the, this sort of swing for the fences kind of exercises versus the, you know, base hit versus the bunt or whatever. Right. Okay. Right. To so. come up with a bunch of different weird ass analogies. <laughs> but basically, that's it, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And I guess we can we can quell quell some myths, like extinguish, extinguish murder. Ooh. Well, I don't want to murder, but we can extinguish some myths, like deadlifts are bad for your back, right? Or shit like that. Or right. we could talk about strength training. No, 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 not that one. I won't come around to that one. I won't even put it out there. I'm just gonna hold on to it. All right. So biggest bang for your buck. So I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay out what's on the tip of my tongue. Just grab one. Just go for it. Just just because of A, I just got back from hanging out with Dan John. Right. And B, I only have one leg. Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and say the goblet squat. Okay. I'm gonna say the goblet squat, biggest bang for your buck that covers as many bases as possible. Um, is your basic front-loaded squat. Right. Whether it's a dumbbell or a kettlebell or maybe even a sandbag, Mm -hmm. but you're holding a weight in front of your body Mm -hmm. and you're squatting between your knees, Mm -hmm. essentially. Okay. Simple as that. So, I mean, like, we know that the squat is a fundamental human movement pattern. We know it's so key for hip mobility and hip health. Something very important to maintain, especially as you get older. Build strength and, and muscle mass in your quads and your hips and glutes and core. I like it for core work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, so it just it just covers a lot of bases. Right. And I mean, when you're talking about just the most no nonsense functional exercise that you could do, I mean, it's holding something in front of you. Right. And squatting. Yeah. It could be even a baby, or I've done it with my dog. Right. Jane, I'll I'll cradle her. Yeah. And as she gets older, she allows me to get more reps. There you go. It used to be four. I could, I could cradle my dog. And then she would jump out. And she, and she would let me get four reps before she would get anxious mm. and frustrated. Now she lets me go to about six. Aw. Yeah. She's cute about it. But, yeah, holding some sort of weight in front of you and squatting. I can get behind that. Yeah. I, I really don't think it gets any more... I, I don't think it gets any, any better than that. Um... Because, I mean, again, you're also training the dynamics of holding and stabilizing something in front of you. Right. So I make that distinction between, like, the goblet squat versus a traditional, like, barbell front rack squat. Okay. Because you can, I mean, not that it's not that it's not right up there in terms of valuable exercises, but how many people can really do a decent barbell front squat right off the bat 
the so I would argue that the barbell front squat is a for, is a goblet squat with a different tool because they're both front loaded. Here's well, and again, this this is maybe my own interpretation. I would just consider a goblet squat as anything where you are holding the entirety of the weight in your hands. Okay. Well, if you clean grip, I clean grip on my front squats. So you're literally holding all the weight off your shoulders. No, I'm not doing that. So that's what I mean. Okay. <laughs> no, my, my shoulders are taking the front. Of, okay. Right, right. Okay, I follow now. Yeah. So, yeah. So again, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's just all, all the major dynamics are at play. How your upper body works with your lower body, right. how you shift your center of gravity, right. your depth, all that stuff. So that's that's the very first thing that comes to me off the top of my mind is the goblet squat with pretty much any tool. All right, so can I tangent a little bit? By all means. How would you, if someone said, how deep should I squat? How would you answer that question? Like how low should I go? In a goblet squat, whatever squat, it doesn't matter. Uh, I say as low as you can control. Okay. Or as low as it feels good. Okay. I'm with you on that one. Um, the reason I ask is I often get that question with a lot of my clients, like, how is that low enough? Well, could we get lower? Maybe. Do we have to? Not really. I mean, we can work on it if we need to, but the only metric that we measure squat depth is by powerlifting standards mm-hmm. at, a, at a minimum or, or, or whatever is that be, that your butt or your hips hit below parallel or below the line that your knee creates mm-hmm. that's the only time in a powerlifting competition or if you're a powerlifting athlete the only rule is you need to sit below parallel mm-hmm. but if you are not a powerlifting athlete at parallel Maybe a little bit above is probably plenty for most people most of the time. You can still get a lot of good work out of that exercise without beating up your joints or, you know, whatever, trying to find mobility here and there, whatever. Now, if over time it gets it improves, I don't think it's a bad thing, mm-hmm. but we don't have to beat you up to get there. Right. So, okay, right. I like that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to move on from the squat? Or, we just I love the squat. Well, I was going to say, do you... We could we could go off on a little squat tangent, or you could you could lay lay your top bank for your buck on me. All right, well I'll do that. But I do the only thing I will say about this. So I love the goblet squat, and it's probably if I had to pick any squat that is most universal, most agreeable for almost anybody, it's the goblet squat. That said, the limitation with the goblet squat ultimately gets to be how heavy you can hold weight in your hands. Right. So, so, so when we're talking about bang for your buck, and that's ex- and that's exactly it. We, we've got this Venn diagram, right, of like weight, overload, mobility, right. ability, right, so etc. So, I, I so had yes, sixty-four-year-old client who was pretty strong. Um, I had to, the heaviest dumbbell we had was seventy-five pounds at mm-hmm. the time. Handing him seventy-five pounds was a pain in the ass for me. And it's a pain. He was 64. It was hard on his his um, wrists to hold that much weight and squat. Now he, he did it and did it well, but it busted up his joints a little bit. So, and, and we're not going to talk. We don't have to talk about it. But that's where the safety bar really shined. Outside of my own personal interest in it, because of my shoulder mobility restriction after surgery, mm-hmm. where the safety bar shines is 
it's still more or less like a front squat, but it's loaded on your shoulders, it's padded, there's handles out in front of you, so it's a lot easier on your shoulders and your wrists, and it's a far more loadable squat pattern. Sure. The, the, basically, you're never going to run out of room as far as loading. That's the only limitation with the goblet squat, is eventually you run out of room for loading. Yep. And if you're strength training and, and progressively strength training, eventually that becomes a problem. Like, that's a roadblock. So then you just switch modalities. So that's all I'll say about the squat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, squatting, okay. Um, trap bar deadlift is mine. Mm, I probably should have guessed. Well, because you know that I like doing it. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Okay, so the reason I like the trap bar deadlift is it's the easiest deadlift variation that almost, again, kind of like the goblet squat, almost universally everybody sort of gets it. Uh-huh. Um, and because the loading pattern tends to be more center of mass, I have found that most of my clients are a smidgen stronger in their trap bar deadlift versus their barbell deadlift. Sure. And... It sort of allows a squatty hinge or a hingy squatty pattern. Like it, it doesn't force mm-hmm. a strict hinge pattern. It's supposed to be a hinge pattern, but it gives us a little wiggle room to kind of like work through that hinge pattern without busting people up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all those reasons, it's the most agreeable hinge pattern. Um, I say, like pun intended, it's the easiest deadlift to pick up. Mm-hmm. So like that, I tend to gravitate towards the trap bar. That, that said. Not every gym has a trap bar, and I, so what I will do is flip-flop with my clients both barbell deadlifts and trap bar deadlifts in the off chance that they find themselves in a gym without a trap bar, right. they're comfortable with a barbell in their hands. Yeah. But the trap bar would be my king um, for that reason. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And another point that I kind of want to make mention that goes into the formula, so to speak, is ease of learning ease of teaching sure you know so it's it's been famously said that like you know you can nitpick somebody's squat to death but if you just give them a moderate weight and just say put your elbows to your knees most people are going to get pretty darn close with a darn good squat on their first couple tries with the goblet squat right so so there is this kind of um give and take where it's like you know, how how much do you need or want to invest in the teaching and the learning versus, like, let's just move? Well, I think there's something to be said for that rapid success. Right. Yep. Like, we've all probably done something uncomfortable and uncoordinated. Our tolerance for that is probably limited. Right. Um, for each of us, that limitate, like, how limited is different. But if you feel silly and you continue to feel silly you're probably going to start to develop a, 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 you know, indifference at best or disgust for whatever activity that might be. Yeah. And so I think rapid success with stuff like goblet squats, trap bar deadlifts, allows people to start lifting weights and adding load and getting strong and feeling comfortable and feeling successful quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's critical for client buy-in, athlete buy-in, whatever, is get people moving and moving well and do it as reasonably quickly as possible definitely definitely and i also like the trap bar deadlift because in that same vein because you know one of the things that i always like to do you know just kind of speaking in terms of stacking up early wins is uh i would often ask you know new clients 
often females, like, hey, how much weight do you think you can lift? Like, I didn't even say, like, an exercise or anything like that. They're like, oh, you know, like, 20 pounds, you know, just, just kind of trying to feel out somebody's, like, perspective, like, you know, like, their limitations. I'm like, you know what, I bet you could lift 100 pounds. What? No way. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, I have the 100-pound kettlebell. So over the course of, like, the first usually one and maybe two sessions, you get somebody deadlifting the 48-kilo kettlebell. And you're like, how does that feel? Oh, not bad. Well, that's actually over 100 pounds. Right. Whoa! So the trap bar obviously allows you in that same vein to go to to put more weight in somebody's hands than they probably have ever held before right. in a relatively safe way. And, and then that's where you can really start integrating all these other programming concepts into your coaching conversations of increasing weight, increasing volume, et cetera, et cetera. And again, the trap bar is, is, an, is an easy in to the quote unquote barbell world. Right. Because you don't have to be as exact on all your setups and all your angles because it's a little self-corrected. Right. Yeah, and I appreciate it for all, and, and like, especially people who like to squat their hands, as soon as you break over a certain weight, maybe 75% of their potential one rep max or whatever, their body starts finding leverage where it's supposed to be finding it. Right. In other words, it becomes a more hip-dominant hamstring, you know, upper back, posterior chain, dominant exercise like it's supposed to be. Yep. All you have to do is just add a little bit of weight and people's body finds leverage. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the barbell, there's some awkwardness to... I think the barbell deadlift is great. You and I would agree with that. And you and I both love doing it. But I think my trap bar deadlift's heavier, potentially heavier than my barbell deadlift. Oh, sure. And if... And, and here's part of the reason we both picked the trap bar. If... Again, I'm not a power lifter, so the barbell deadlift is not a mandatory exercise for anything in my life. I like doing it. I don't have to do it. The trap bar deadlift being the head, being a stronger lift for me versus my barbell deadlift means that for my body, physiologically speaking, I fuck shit up faster and harder. And if the game of fitness is to induce stress so that you get stronger and bigger and faster and harder to kill, the trap bar allows me to do that faster. It's, right. That's why I picked it over the barbell deadlift. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably, you know, one other thing that probably shouldn't be lost, the commonality between both your trap bar deadlift and the goblet squat is the fact that you are holding free weight in your hands. Right. And when you're talking about grip strength, when you're talking about just getting somebody's body used to handling weight, I think I think that's that's really key. So I like that you brought that up for two reasons. The, the, I feel like the most critical tests for overall fitness and health for like older adults, let's say 70 plus, is two of them. One is a sit to stand or something like that. Like basically you sit in a chair, you stand up, you walk five yards, come back around, sit down. Mm-hmm. And you do this a number of times over time. Mm-hmm. They find that people who are capable of getting up and down out of a chair and walking back and forth and back, you know, up and down, whatever, that they tend to have better health and longevity and, and fewer issues long term. They live longer, healthier lives than their less fit counterparts. So that's a squat, sitting that's a squat. into a chair and getting back up yeah. again. And then as far as grip strength, same thing. 
when you measure data amongst the healthier, older populations who are less likely to die at younger ages, they have greater grip strength. Yep. So we're talking about two very critical things that we can try to maintain well into 70s, 80s, 90s plus um, grip strength and, and ability to squat. Yep. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. You pick another one. Let's see. Another Good. another bang bang for your buck. So <laughs> obviously between our squat and trap bar deadlift. The lower body is pretty much covered, and, and I would agree. Like your your goblet squat, and I would say in my case probably a heavy kettlebell uh, deadlift. In your case, uh, trap bar deadlift. Obviously, depending on whatever you have available, I would kind of kind of lump those pretty close. So then when we start talking about upper body, okay, bang for your buck. I would say the number one thing that kind of goes down into a rabbit hole is the push-up position plank okay. slash the push-up itself. Okay, I would agree there. Yeah, so this is where you really are just, you know, the, the squat and the deadlift are dynamic exercises that are obviously like measured in reps and, and weight. I would venture to say like your plank, like your high plank with straight arms is our first foray into isometrics. Okay. How you are able to uh, tense certain parts of your body, relax other parts of your body, and maintain that tension for time. Okay. So, yeah, so with the plank, the main things that, again, you, you want to get detail-oriented but not overload people in the details. So it's sure. kind of like one of these things where it's like, well, as long as you're hanging out there, you're, do, you're not doing it wrong, um, but but there are a lot of nuances. So the main things that I just try to, um, that I try to make sure that I emphasize with people when they're first starting practicing planks in the way that I like to coach them is to really get in touch with the holy trinity of strength, which are the quads, the glutes, and the abs. Okay. So when you're in your plank, even though you're not technically on your feet, can you consciously tighten your quads? So, uh, so how do you cue this? When you're coaching it, how do you get people to do this? How do you get them to feel this? Well, the classic cue is pull your kneecaps up. Okay. For some people that works, for some it doesn't. I have a different one. Sometimes you can just poke people. I was gonna say, I don't, <laughs> I don't usually poke them. But I'll tell them, imagine I'm going to poke you in the belly. Or right. I'm gonna, imagine I'm going to poke you in the ass. I might actually do it. Right. But imagine I'm about to poke you in the ass. And yeah. people tend to kind of figure that out. They sort of tense up. Absolutely. It's also a very uncomfortable thing because people don't like to be poked in the ass. I mean, well, not everybody. In the, in the I, gym. I, as yep. a coach. <laughs> yep. In the gym as a coach. Right. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all else, all else being equal a little poke with a pen or a foam roller or your finger depending on depending on the your, uh the environment your comfort level right and, right okay and so then the same thing like the glutes like you know pinch a penny tuck okay. your tailbone you know whatever so again same kind of thing even though you're not even though you'd like you're not on two feet even though you're not doing a quote-unquote glute exercise or a lower body exercise 
can you consistently and consciously tighten the quads and the glutes? Which is, I mean, if you're really talking about like 100% like tension, it's, it's not easy. Right. It's not easy. And then of course, like the abs goes, goes right into that as well. So a lot of times this is, this is a way for people to get in touch with those muscle groups and we begin the learning process of timing the engagement. So if you tighten your quads, then your glutes, then your abs, that's a completely different feeling than tightening your abs, then your glutes, then your quads. There, there is a zip up effect. Um, and then starting with the glutes, moving out, tightening the abs, tightening the quads. So this is where we can kind of start experimenting with timing of engagement and and these kind of I would say imaginary lines but they're not imaginary but these these invisible lines of tension and engagement okay throughout the body um, yeah and then of course the obvious point is you're supporting your body weight through your arms and your shoulders so you're getting all that arm upper back rotator cuff work in there as well right so establishing a really strong plank all those strong plank mechanics and then building the push-up into that that's probably like the the number one bang for your buck um, area that I like to work with people after usually after the squat and the deadlift right I like the I'll agree with you for the most part on the, the push-up stuff I also like the push-up because um, I don't think and I, I cue this what I do is I put my hand in between people's shoulder blades and I'll tell them to push their shoulder blades as far apart as possible or try mm-hmm. to fill the space between their shoulder blades. Because I think a lot of people don't reach enough. Right. So, you know, mechanically speaking, what we're talking about is your, your pro, like shoulder blades protracting or reaching, mm-hmm. retracting or pulling, upward rotation like you're reaching overhead. So your shoulder blades do a lot of mechanical work. It's actually what makes human beings so unique is the mobility that we have in our shoulders. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us don't use them enough. And so what I try to do with the push-up is really force that sort of protraction, sort of filling the space between the shoulder blades just to get people to reach more. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that cleans up a lot of shoulder, air quotes, issues, like achy this and that, elbows achy this and that. I think a push-up is a really great corrective, for lack of a better word. It sort of fixes a lot of, of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. The one detractor from the push-up is, for me is, is loadability. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it's like it's like going for a jog. Eventually, you just have to keep going for a jog, like longer and longer and longer distances. And the push-up is similar. Like you can load it. There's there's not a ton of there's still not a ton of room to grow with push-up variations. There's feet elevated. There's tempo. There's chain loaded, plate loaded. I like. I like band resisted actually a lot mm-hmm. because of that protraction thing still. I feel like when people have a band on their shoulders, it really forces them to push through um, that push-up variation. So there's a number of loadable variations, but there's still limitations with the push-up. Um, that said, I don't know if I have a better alternative. Again, we're talking, we're not, we're not eschewing alternatives. We're not saying like the lunge isn't a great exercise. The lunge is a great exercise. Well. You and I might may agree or disagree, but the lunge is a great exercise. Reverse lateral lunge, mm-hmm. you know, a squat's cool, step-ups are cool, 
kettlebell swings are cool. We're not eschewing all other lower body exercises. We're not eschewing all other upper body exercises. We're just picking the biggest bang for your buck one that we would either agree or disagree on. And I can't come up with a better alternative. The only asterisk with the push-up would be loadability. Yeah. Well, and then that's exactly the same thing that we run into, as you said, with the goblet squat. So at a certain point, you know, there, there's a limitation, there's pros and cons limitations to all exercises. Um, but again, you know, always thinking in terms of like that, that simultaneous like desert island situation. And then also like if you had to maintain five lifts for the rest of your life. Right. When we're talking about what's going to keep you functional, what's going to keep you stronger than the average bear. You know, if you can, if, if you can knock out 25 solid chest to deck push-ups pretty much for your entire life, you're going to be in pretty, pretty good shape. Right. And, and, and it doesn't require any equipment, which is the one right. thing we haven't said yet. But a push-up requires no equipment, just your body weight. Mm-hmm. So, again, if, if we're measuring this, this whole podcast, if, if the whole point of this is to measure the greatest pros versus the minimum like minimal cons mm, mm-hmm. push-up would be that yep yeah there's a number of presses that i like the push-up if i had to pick okay yeah so now we got to pick a pull i suppose we do all right so this one i thought about it while we were talking and, and i was trying to figure out because i think i would have at first said a pull-up sure I won't say that because I have a lot of clients who struggle with pull-ups. I tell you, mm, for uh, this isn't a pull, but I almost want to say like a dead hang, just hanging from the bar for time. It's good and strength. It's isometric. It's technically not a pull, but it's an anti-fall. Anti-fall. Okay, we'll come back to that. Well, I, I do have one. I'll, I'll be honest, dude. You pretty much read my mind. Because that's, when it comes to the pull, and, and this is reflected in a lot of the, like, uh, seminar curriculum that I've done over the past couple years. When I talk about pull, like, like the pull pattern, the first and and really the meat and potatoes of the material is bar hangs. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we would agree. So there's, a, I think, a lot of good stuff there. One of my clients wants to get good at pull-ups because she quite literally wants to rope swing and not fall mm. on the way down. Mm. Like, she wants to hold on and then let go at the appropriate time. Right. And so we've been doing pull-ups for this reason. Yeah. But, all right, so if I had to pick a very dynamic row or pull, I'm going to pick a dumbbell, one arm, three-point row. Mm, mm-hmm. So for anybody listening that doesn't know what that looks like, it's like you put your hand on a bench. Most people, when they think of a dumbbell row, they've got a hand and a knee on the bench. You're going to turn 90 degrees. You're going to have a hand only on the bench, and your feet are both going to be placed on the ground, and your hand and your two feet will make three points. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll generally, on the pulling side, like say I'm rowing with my right arm, I'll generally kick back my right leg a little bit to clear room so I don't smack myself in the knee. But I like it for this reason. It's a dynamic pull, so there's a weight in your hand, I'm reaching towards the floor, I get protraction in my shoulder blade, and then I pull 
the weight towards me. I get, you know, upper back, lats, you know, bicep, grip strength, all that engaged. But there's two parts that people don't see in this. The first is that planted hand on the bench. It's kind of mm. like this isometric plank hold. Mm. So being right. able to plant on the one hand and pull synergistically, antagonistically, whatever. I'm pushing with my left hand, pulling with my right hand. So I'm having to stabilize with that one arm while I pull. And then because it's a three point and I'm less stable, I'm having to isometrically control my hip position, like a pull off press. So it's an anti-rotation core strengthening exercise. Now the reason I picked this over the pull-up is because it's load, like we can gradate the loading. In other words, like you can start with a 15 pound dumbbell, work your way up, whereas a pull-up is just, you know, there's a ways around the pull-up, but I'm trying to think of like in simplest, again, heaviest hitter terms. Um, it's dynamic. I think it's more relevant to most people's everyday life to pull from a horizontal position to your body. Um, and then there was another one that I forgot. Um, but the dumbbell row is probably my big pull. Oh, and probably just the loadability. I was thinking sure. inverted row or TRX row, and I was like, same thing with the push-up. You run out of room yep. unless you're going to do a 1,000 reps. Yep. The dumbbell row is... It, you know, arguably or debatably infinite as far as like loadable pattern because dumbbells can go up to you know, 100, 120, whatever. Yeah. Okay. That's my that's my pull. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I think I think you you really nail it. And you know, in my programming, um, I'm I'm very liberal with one arm rows. One arm rows. I have certainly on every upper body day. Usually program on some other like lower body days just kind of as a filler as well because yeah I do think that um, lots yeah just lots of one arm rows are probably what most people need just upper back work grip strength work you, you know, know core bracing all that stuff the irony of that is I actually prefer chest supported rows personally oh yeah I'm preferential preferential to chest supported but if yeah. I had to pick I would go dumbbell one arm row for all the aforementioned reasons yeah okay yeah um so with all that being said i'm not uh not disagreeing at all just because i kind of come from more of the body weight calisthenic nerd culture i would go back to the uh straight arm hang and then maybe the scapular pull up i've started doing more of those ever since like our saturday you know uh yard work workouts yeah now again the big con with that is not everybody is going to be able to jump up and hang on with their body weight for long enough or with enough control to get as much bang for your buck out of the movement so right. that that is the big downfall but it's a very easy one to measure progress right like I right. hung for five seconds, yeah. and then I hung for ten seconds, and then I hung for thirty seconds, or whatever. So it's a very, it's a very simple one to scale and see demonstrable progress in. So for that reason, I like the dead hang a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, from the dead hang, and like I think we were talking about maybe some weeks ago, um, my my new habit of uh, like Tarzan time. Oh, you were telling me about this, yeah. Yeah, so Tarzan time is basically where I put, you know, five or ten minutes on a clock, and I'll just set up, like, a, a low bar, 
in a Smith machine, like in a, in a Smith rack. So I'll usually keep both of my feet on the ground so that I'm, I'm keeping 50% or more of my body weight through my feet. Um, and I'll just hang. I'll, I'll hang on one arm. I'll do scapular pull-ups. I'll do side-to-side scap pull-ups. I'll do, you know, some, some mini front levers, some knee raises, leg raises, um, pull-ups, chin-ups, flexed arm hangs. This is stuff you can do with your busted ass leg too. Yes, so that's why I'm getting very excited talking about it because these are all the things that I'm going to be doing yeah. for the next three months. You can't be worried about what you can't do. You got to be worried about what you can do. That's it, man. Yeah. So Tarzan time. Okay. So obviously, there, you know, the big con there is that, you know, a lot of folks are just going to jump up and not be able to hang on for more than five or ten seconds. But again, with practice, that that all improves. The only other thing that I was going to say was, uh, in terms of bang for your buck uh, exercise, would be the humble farmer carry. Okay. I'm just going to say, I would say carry. Just any carry. Sure. Whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, we have three th- we're, we're running short on time. We have three things that I wanted to, to address. Time flies. Right. When you're having so much fun. Um, Three things that I wanted to cover were carry, which we can talk about, mm-hmm. locomotion, mm-hmm. which I don't really have an answer for right now, and plyometric. And the plyometric one I do have an answer for. So loaded carries. Mm-hmm. You said farmer's walk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to expand on that or do you want to just... Uh, I mean, not outside of like, again, when you're looking at something that is going to just check a lot of boxes with minimal a minimal learning curve and it technically crosses over with locomotion crosses over with locomotion i would even venture to say it i mean you know you do it slow you do it with high knees you do it up a hill I you're love kind marches with it yeah I've you're been doing a lot of marches you're kind of getting you know i'm not going to say you're getting your squat and your hinge work but you're getting kind of posterior chain work you're getting uh, work almost, capacity. I'd almost consider strength. it a total body. Sure. Even though it's not as dynamic as, say, a trap bar deadlift or a squat, I would argue that one of my favorite conditioning tools, I say conditioning in, in broad terms, conditioning tools is just carry some heavy ass weight for as long as you can. Yep. One of the hardest workouts I ever did in my entire life was carry a 200 pound sandbag three distances. So I picked it up, carried it as far as I could, dropped it. Then I did a plyometric, I did some squat jumps, mm-hmm. grabbed my 200-pound sandbag, walked again away from my house, so three away, which meant that I had to bring it back again, and I thought I was going to die. I yep. was about to leave a 200-pound black sandbag in the middle of my street, just waiting for someone who wasn't paying attention to hit it with their car and destroy it. Not the sandbag, their car. Right. That 200-pound sandbag is a monster. Yep. Her, name, her name's Bertha, by the way. I did name her. Her name's Bertha. My, my pink sandbag at the gym is Samantha. Woo. And the red one is Anne. And then the two black ones have another name. I don't remember what their names are, but anyway. But loaded carries. So I like the farmer's walk. So you've got two weights and one in each hand and you're mm-hmm. walking. I like sandbag carries where you've got a front racked sandbag and you walk it as far as you can and then dump it. You can do a number of offloaded carries. Let's say you've got a kettlebell in just one hand. So that's like a suitcase carry. Mm-hmm. So you only have you're only loaded one side. You could go two kettlebells of different weights, 
and walk those. You could do a rack to carry where you've got a kettlebell on one side of your body, like in the rack position. You could do a waiter's walk where it's overhead. So there's a number of different variations that you can do here and work on a number of different qualities of strength and fitness and, and cardiovascular health and conditioning and all that. So farmer's rock, farmer's carry, or just carry in general, is a great filler strength conditioning exercise. Mm -hmm. and, and then there's locomotion as part of that. If you had to pick a locomotion that wasn't a carry, what would it be? Does the sled push count? Sled push does count. I would say sled push. Okay, I'm going to be simpler than that. And I am going to push our time a little bit. I'm going to say walking. I can't, mean, can't argue with that. Well, right. It's, it's not sexy. Here's the irony of all of these things is none of them are sexy. None of them are like three-plate power cleans or right. whatever. Like right. They're not sexy, but they're super effective. Mm -hmm. And they're simple. So like walking for health is like the one thing that, side tangent, cardiovascular disease and comorbidities related to it cost over 400 billion with a B in healthcare every year. What we found through a number of different studies is that if you walk in 10 minute bouts for up to 30 minutes a day, walk, that you can reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease and dyslipidemia and hypertension and a number of other comorbidities by up to 40 percent. Mm -hmm. So, at a minimum, people should walk a lot more, and uh, and it would clear it would honestly clean up a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of health issues, stress, so on and so forth. So I'm going to be simpler in my term. I'm going to say walking, but I like your sled push. Yeah, it's heinous, but I like it. Yeah. Well, yeah, dude. I mean, all that being said, um, there's not much I wouldn't give right now just to be able to go for a walk. Well, so. Or walk with a sled. Or walk with a sled for that So matter. the nice thing about the sled, and you and I would agree with about this, is that there's no eccentric component to it. If yep. You can load it up, push the sled up some turf, it crushes your soul, but because there's no eccentric, in other words, there's no um, muscle contraction where... Or, or, or muscles aren't contracted while also being stretched at the same time or pulled apart. You have two different three different types of muscle contractions. Concentric, where the muscle belly shortens. Isometric, where it holds. And eccentric, where under load, it lengthens. The lack of eccentric component to the sled push allows you to scale volume and intensity pretty high without tons of, of soreness and, and death, basically, after. Right. So... That's why I like the sled push. Yeah. Yeah, man. And yeah, that's why it's, it's always so much fun wrapping up our workouts with those types of um, concentric only exercises. Well, yeah, right. Because when we do our yard work, it's usually sled push, tire drag. So we get a rope or we're pulling the tire. It's concentric. We've got farmer's carries, which is locomotion and a heavy carry. And sometimes, like, we'll, we may throw in a push-up or dips or something in there. But for the yeah. most part, we can, you know, get after it. Do you know what this song is from, by the way? Yeah. First of all, is this Daft Punk? This is Daft Punk. This is the, from the Tron Legacy That's what soundtrack. I, uh, yeah. That makes sense. I was like, okay. I, I heard it a minute ago. I was like, this is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I like that movie. It's, it's not a wonderful movie, but I like that movie. Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Daft Punk. Right. Well... One of my clients thinks that they that they're going away, that they broke up, and then they'll do like a reunion tour and like blow it up. One one would hope. Right. All right. Last one. Plyometric. I've got a simple one. 
but do you, I, want, I want to know what yours is. Um, in plyometric, when we think about, we think of like jumping, power, yeah, whatever. I would probably just say jumping rope. Oh, that's mine, <laughs> buddy. Yeah, jump rope. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's simple. It requires minimal equipment. And yep. here's what I found. What I love about skipping rope is, um, it's tough. It's very low level. Like people generally get it. Um, it's a great conditioning tool. People get out of breath very quickly. But I also love it as a general measure of readiness. Mm. So like sometimes I'll start a client's workout with skipping rope and maybe a farmer's carry because it'll mm-hmm. show me two things. The first is if I don't even have to ask them, hey, how was your weekend? How are you sleeping? Did you drink alcohol last night? I'll just be like, here, skip this rope and carry this weight. And if I know what their typical um, fitness looks like with those two activities, but all of a sudden they're tripping up on that rope more, they just can't get in that rhythm. Or if they're sitting down those heavy-ass weights on that farmer's carry a little earlier than they usually do, those two things, coordination and grip strength, are the first to be physical indicators of some, maybe some underlying stress, something that's going on. Those are my, two of my favorite sort of tests to see where people are at, outside of being like, hey, how are you? Do yeah. you want to talk about it? Yeah. No, I like that. Okay. I like that. Sometimes I'm like, let's just go to breakfast and talk about it. We don't have to lift today. Let's go get some Waffle House. It's just up the street. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I think I think we covered a lot of great grounds. I think you're right. Yeah. This one and the last one were doozies. Mm-hmm. Shocked full of content. Mm-hmm. We need to laugh more. We, we need to laugh we more? We need to laugh more. Do you have a joke? <laughs> Andy, I don't think that's how it works, dude. I don't know any jokes. Uh, we don't. We don't have to do this right now. We can figure okay. this out for, for the you. next time. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right, man. Well, great stuff. Anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. Take it. Good luck. You're leaving. Well, I think we'll get one more in before you leave. Yes, 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 yes. So as it stands right now, my plan is to get my follow-up with the surgeon um, next week. And then unless he says otherwise, I will be going home to Virginia for a month to uh, lick my wounds at home uh, with my folks. So we'll have to figure out, I don't know how to record on a Zoom, but you do. Oh, I got you, dude. Okay. I got you. You're way more tech savvy than I am. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, uh, if I can just take this moment to say, Andy, how much I appreciate your dedication and your consistency to our podcast. Um, likewise, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been fun. And um, hopefully this is like, hopefully just me breaking most of the bones in my leg is just a, uh, a little hiccup on an otherwise super consistent schedule. I was going to say, so. if we can make it through this, I don't want to test like what that looks like. We can make it through snow, ice, right. broken tibia. Broken. So far, so yeah. And that's early. This is only episode 10. <sighs> Buddy, oh, we're in for a treat this year. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. All right, dude. A to Z, no BS. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. See you guys.